<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> ha! Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to our Season 12, Episode 2. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you courtesy of author Alan McDaniels. Tonight, you'll hear tales of paintings of a different color, unwelcomed guests, and freakish forest dwellers. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror... Visit simplyscurrypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Sometimes the elites among us can be the most undeserving of praise. Take Xavier, swindling investment banker by day, and by night, well, not everyone goes out to crazy parties all the time, but he does quite nicely for himself. That is, everything was going well, until one of his more outrageous scams made the wrong person angry. And for them, a simple apology just won't do. Without further ado, I present to you the portrait. My name's Xavier Thompson. I'm 43 with an aspiring career in the stock exchange. Aspiring is a bit of an understatement. In reality, I'm a real wolf on Wall Street. I'll do what I need to make a profit, whatever it is. And if that means someone else gets screwed, well, maybe they'll learn to be smarter next time. I've been called it all, and then some people generally either adore me or despise me. It's typical of sheep to fear the wolf. It takes a certain hunger to survive this world and profit in it. And the mighty dollar is the key to success. Around two in the afternoon, I downed my fourth shot of tequila, celebrating a nice bonus at the slight expense of some old woman. She lost about thirty grand of life insurance money from her husband's death, and while it does suck that she lost it to the unforgiving market, I still got a nice check from it. 
I was in the corner booth with two of my co-workers. Sherry, a beautiful blonde with an hourglass figure, and Darnell, a slim, square-jawed, up-and-coming kid from Brooklyn, taking notes from the best. He was bright enough, but we had to iron out his ruthlessness and turn this 25-year-old kid into a bloodthirsty shark. Shame about Mrs. Hodgins, Darnell said, still holding his first shot while I ordered another two. One for Sherry and me. It's the nature of the beast, Darnell. She's a monster for sure, but as long as we get ours, I said. Still, thirty grand's a lot to lose. Some people would kill for that, he said. Thirty grand's nothing to Xavier. He probably burns that for kicks on the weekend, Sherry said, giving me a smile with those ruby-red lips. I do well for myself, I shrugged. Shouts sounded off from the bar's entrance as an older gypsy woman came in holding something in her hands wrapped in paper. I trusted you, she yelled, storming over to our table. She had grayish black hair, a wrinkled face, a large nose, and a pair of beady hazel eyes. She wore a purple gown with a small blanket thrown over her shoulders. Here it comes, I sighed, knowing what was coming next. Sure enough, she began ranting and raving about how I cost her all this money, how I was a snake, and she would spit on my grave. Typical client talk when things don't go their way. That was nice enough to paint you a gift. And this is how you repay me? She yelled, throwing the paper-wrapped item at me. Underneath the paper, I saw a portrait of me in my black suit. It was beautifully done. For once, I felt guilty. Let me make it up to you. I know some good investment opportunities, I said honestly, trying to do her a favor. She spat on the table and stormed away, leaving the portrait behind. Well, that was a mood killer, Sherry said, taking a shot at tequila. We finished our night, quickly dismissing any thoughts of the disgruntled hag. I took my new painting home and laid it on my dresser as the tequila called me to bed. Hands wrapping around my throat caused me to open my eyes, gasping for breath. There was a black, mushy figure towering over me. Its hands were cold and slimy as they wrapped around my neck, slowly suffocating me. I turned my body, trying to free myself, but it wouldn't let go. I let out a panicked gasp as I landed a punch on my attacker's face. To my surprise, my fist slammed through my head as if a deafening hiss rang through my ears. I shot up in my bed, my alarm blaring, demanding my attention. I groaned, rubbing my neck as I shut the alarm off. I got out of bed and shuffled, hung over, into the bathroom to relieve myself. I looked in the mirror to see a black smudge on my neck. I looked at it, poking it, to see it slightly rub off onto my finger. Well, I asked, turning an eye to the painting on the dresser. I ignored any crazy notions and jumped in the shower, ready to start a new day. I dressed in gym clothes and headed for my morning jog. The weather was pleasant, a nice warm sun, accompanied by the sweetness of breezes. I started. Every block or so, I would wink at the pretty females I saw along the way. I managed a few hookups, but nothing long-term to pin me down. I'm far from settling down with some bimbo. 
Around to my mark, a small coffee cart peddling crap cappuccinos. I turned back, heading to my studio apartment, when something began bothering me. It was the feeling of being watched, not in a flattering sense. I kept looking over my shoulder, but saw no one in particular eyeing me. I guess the nightmare must have had me rattled. I cut the corner only three blocks from my apartment when I saw it. Standing across the street from me was a tall, black, smudge figure. No sculpted face or any details, except a strange red streak down its chest. It was real, and it was coming for me. It waved a dripping hand as I stopped completely in fear. A bus passed, blocking the figure as fright filled my mind. When the bus passed, I noticed a tall man in all black listening to music with headphones on. Could it be? Am I just tired, or was the tequila too strong last night? I shrugged it off, continuing my jog back. Once I returned, I went inside my bedroom to change as I passed the painting. I had to take another look. I picked it up, setting it against the wall as my eyes scanned it closely. It was me, wearing a black suit with a red tie, a grin that looked too genuine to be real, and, well, that was it. No grotesque smudge monster ready to lash out at me. I laughed, shaking my head and finding the humor in my paranoia. I got dressed and headed off to the office. It was a short commute. I bought my apartment just for that reason alone. Well, that and the traffic of busty babes was good. I pulled into my parking spot and headed inside, catching Darnell in the elevator. Morning, kid, I said as he gave me a wide-eyed grin clearly on his second or third cup of coffee already. Any big fish today? He asked as the elevator headed up. Got a new client who has multiple properties in the Bermudas. See if I can reel in something, I said, giving him a grin. The elevator stopped and we headed to our separate offices. Well, Darnell had a cubicle, while yours truly had a nice spacious office with a killer view. Well, good morning, big shot. Sherry sure, said as she walked in and I sat back in my leather chair. Good morning. How'd you sleep last night, I asked, checking my phone for any missed calls. Alone. Sorry I didn't answer your call last night, she said. I looked up, peering at her. Last night? I didn't call, I said. She laughed, blushing a little. Oh, don't tell me. The amazing Xavier drunk called little old me last night? I scrolled through my recent call history to see two calls late last night around 3 a.m. One was to an unknown number I hadn't seen before. The other, Sherry. I frowned, pulling out my cell phone and unlocking it. Had I called? Who was the other number? I'm sorry, Sherry. I don't remember doing that, I said, embarrassed. Which is something rare for me. It's fine. Tequila plays with my mind, too. She said with a playful wink before walking off. I sat there thinking about it for a few moments before brushing it aside and diving into work. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The majority of the day was spent on calls with various clients, tracking the market and hunting for new fish to reel in a fat check. It wasn't my most profitable day, and the sushi I had for lunch tasted as if it came from the bottom of the freezer. Still, it was a good day. Same time, Darnell asked, poking his head into my office, referring to the bar we quite frequently visited after work. Now that I think about it, perhaps too much. Ah, not tonight, Dee. I think I need some rest, I responded. Darnell looked almost disappointed as I grabbed my phone and headed out the door. My mind was elsewhere on the drive home. Something about that dream I had, then the stranger. I just had an uncomfortable feeling that something wasn't right. Inside my apartment, I shuffled into the kitchen and pulled out a beer out of the fridge. I plopped down on my caramel-colored couch and opened the beer. Grabbed the remote and turned to the sports channel. One beer turned into four or five as I found myself sucked into the television. It was after ten when my eyes grew heavy. I threw out the empty bottles and then returned to the living room to turn off the television. Someone was sitting on the couch. The fro was backing away slowly. I made my way back into the bedroom and grabbed a baseball bat I kept behind my door. Letting out a mighty roar, I ran into the living room and swung the bat hard against the intruder's face. To my surprise, black goose splattered the walls as a loud hissing noise filled my ears. I dropped the bat and fell to my knees, covering my ears. I looked up to see the stranger twisting its body in ways that would break bones, its distorted black head morphing back into the normal shape of a person's head. I backed away, crawling for the bat a few feet away, when something wet grabbed my ankle. I looked back to see the sludge intruder wrapping its slimy fingers around my ankles, pulling me back as it let out another hiss. I covered my ears again as I looked up at the faceless creature. I noticed a nose begin to form in shape, then a crude mouth, and lastly, a pair of hazel eyes that looked at me with a rage unlike any I'd seen before. I screamed from the depths of my soul as I jumped up, waking on the couch. I looked around in panic to see the television still on, with an entire 12-pack of beer scattered over my coffee table. I groaned in frustration, tired of these dreams. I turned off the television and walked into the bedroom, passing the painting that hadn't moved from where I touched it last. The next day, I woke up to the same routine and headed to work, my eyes heavy and pounding. Today, for whatever unknown reason, I had the urge to call Mrs. Hodgins. In my office, I closed my door and shut the blinds as I picked up my office phone. What am I doing? This is crazy, I sighed. 
I opened my drawer and pulled out an expensive bottle of scotch that I'd bought for special occasions. Today, of all days, was only special for the fact I didn't seem to get decent sleep, and I blamed that forsaken portrait. I poured myself a glass while my fingers shook slightly, hovering over the phone. It took nearly half a cup to work up to the nerve before dialing her number. Before I hit the last one, my cell phone started ringing, nearly causing me to spill my scotch. I cursed, then picked up my cell phone, looking at the number. It took me a moment to realize where I recognized the number. It was from the other night when I drunk-dialed Sherry and an unknown individual. They must be returning my call. I answered the phone, introducing myself as always, when the static sound tickled my eardrums. Hello, you cheat. A sharp voice hissed. Mrs. Hodgins? I asked in shock. Who else have you robbed? I wasn't aware there was a list, she said hatefully. I sighed, unsure what to say. I was just about to call you. About your painting, I said, trying not to sound afraid. Ah, yes. How is he? she asked. Sorry, I don't think I understand. I replied, confused. My painting. I feel he's more comfortable in your home, even if you are a despicable man, she said. I'm sorry about the money. I can try and secure some of it back. Maybe if... I jumped when my office door swung open. Stepping inside was a short, bald man with a pale, leathery face. He had a yellow-stained mustache and was wearing black dress pants and a blue dress shirt with a black tie. This was Mr. Shucker boss. Uh, yes, sir? I asked, placing a hand over the phone. I'm sorry, Xavier, but the police just called me. They said someone broke into your place, he said. The words struck my heart. Sounds serious. You should go take care of that. Please make sure my boy's okay, Mrs. Hodgson said before abruptly hanging up. I rushed home, seeing a patrol car out front. A young police officer, taking notes, looked up at me as I approached. Mr. Thompson? he asked. Yes, sir. I responded, bracing myself for whatever news may come. We got reports of a dark cloth man smashing things in your apartment. We arrived to find what appears to be some tar-like residue all over your apartment. No sign of anyone, and we checked twice. Follow a report with us for anything damaged or missing. He said, ripping a piece of paper from his pad and handing it over. I took it as the young cop looked at me. Sorry for all this. Do you know by chance anyone who might have done this? He asked. I make a lot of friends, mostly enemies from work, I said, feeling somewhat ashamed of my answer. The cop nodded. Well, if you think of anything, give us a call. I nodded in understanding as I watched him return to his car and drive away. Inside, I held my breath, walking into my apartment. The officer wasn't joking. My coffee table was flipped over, the couch cushions were thrown about with black gunk staining them. Crude footprints of black goo led from the kitchen into the living room, and then my bedroom. I walked into the bedroom to see a nearby pool of black goo on my bed, soaking my comforter and sheets. My eyes turned to the painting that was untouched on my dresser. The hazel eyes stared at me, the smile mocking me. 
Somehow this painting was real. I could feel this energy seeping from the canvas. I looked down at the footprints when a revelation struck me. The footprints were coming from in front of the dresser and leading out of the bedroom. My heart raced as I snatched the painting from my dresser and dashed outside. I made my way into the alleyway and threw the painting there, ridding myself of this nightmare once and for all. I spent the remainder of my day cleaning the house. Once I'd finished, I decided a trip to the bar was well needed. I found Sherry and Darnell in our corner booth as the waitress brought over a round of tequila. I quickly threw mine back and ordered two more. Sorry about your apartment, Sherry said, noticing my slight anxious behavior. Bastards. Anyone who steals deserves to have their hands chopped off, Darnell spat. I turned to him in a flash. Is it supposed to be funny, I asked, glaring at him. What? He asked, taking a step back. Are you implying something? Do you have something you want to say? Spit it out! I yelled, catching some eyes from the bar. Easy, Xavier. He didn't mean anything by it, Sherry said, placing a hand on my shoulder. I stopped for a moment, realizing I was projecting and apologized. Oh, sorry, kid. Long day is all. I didn't mean anything by it, I said, embarrassed. The rest of the night was a blur. I got good and drunk while Sherry called me a cab. I stumbled to my door and walked inside, my footsteps swaying. In the bedroom, I crashed onto the bed, laying on fresh sheets and a blanket, and closed my eyes. My eyes opened, but my body couldn't move. I looked over to see a dark figure sitting on my bed. It looked like its skin wasn't moving. No, it was moving. It was forming. The droopy face, eerily like my own, turned on me. Neither body nor neck ever moving, just the head swiveling around. What are you? I demanded, fear swelling within me. It gave me a smile, revealing a row of white teeth, his right eye drooping and sinking into his cheek. I am you, but you are not me yet, he said. I screamed, waking myself up, my head a mess, eyes fighting to focus. I could hear movement in the kitchen as my heart began to race. I jumped from my bed and started toward the kitchen cautiously. Around the corner I could see a shadow drag across the floor. I walked in, ready for a fight, when my jaw dropped. The painting on the table. How? It's not possible. I threw it away. Well, good morning, Tiger. A kind, familiar voice welcomed me. I looked over to see Sherry in pajama pants and one of my sweatshirts cooking breakfast. Sherry? What the hell are you doing here? I asked, confused. She looked at me with a raised brown and amused grin. Wow, drunk dialing again, I see, she said. I looked at her, baffled, unsure what to say. I, I don't remember calling. What did I say, I asked. You were lonely, and you wanted company. I was bored and willing to oblige, but of course, when I got here, still drunk, rambling on about the painting, she finished. She shrugged. After you passed out, I crashed out on the couch. Didn't think you'd mind. My eyes turned to the painting, staring at it ominously. I don't, but the painting, I said in a low tone. Hmm? What was that, Xavier? She asked, 
looking over her silk shoulder at me. The damn painting, how'd it get here? I asked, my tone more aggressive than I would have liked. She looked at me confused for a moment and answered, I saw it outside after you talked about it last night. I figured you still wanted it, so I brought it in. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get rid of it, she said, walking over towards it. No, don't touch it. I snapped, rushing over and snatching it from the table. She looked at me with worry in her eyes. Xavier, is everything okay? I tried to compose myself, realizing how insane I must seem to her. It's just this painting. I hate it. I'll throw it out, Sherry. Sorry for stamping, I said, giving her a reassuring smile. I did just what I said, taking it outside and throwing it back in the dumpster. I returned to Sherry inside, and together we ate breakfast. She left shortly after planting a kiss on my cheek on her way out. I took a shower, got dressed, and was ready for work. On my way out, I performed a quick walkthrough, ensuring the painting wasn't lurking somewhere. Once pleased with my search, I left, peeking into the alleyway to see the painting where I had left it. On to work I went. The day was delightfully normal, with some good calls and better leads. Stromy deli sandwich for lunch and a Coke to wash it down. I left around 4.30 and headed home, promising to meet Sherry and Darnell at our spot at six or so. I walked into my home, holding my breath, praying nothing was out of the ordinary. I was surprised to see everything still in its place, just as I had left it. I had a cheap microwave dinner with a few beers and watched television. Afterward, I showered, changing into something more relaxed, and went to the bar to hang out with my friends. We shared some drinks and had a blast. The day felt normal and rewarding. It was a pleasant change from the hectic days before. Sherry hinted at swinging by later tonight before I left. Well, I was, certainly wasn't opposed to the idea, but I wouldn't tell her that. Make her work for it. At home, I sat down on the couch and flipped channels until my eyes grew heavy. A gentle hand rested on my shoulder as I looked over, expecting to see Sherry standing there. Instead, to my horror, was that black, tar-dripping monster wearing a crude version of my face. Its eyes scowled at me, giving a menacing smile. Please, just go away, I shouted yanking away from the creature. It didn't answer as it shuffled its body over to me. I leaned back on the couch, frozen by fear, watching the creature take dripping steps ever closer to me. What do you want from me? I yelled. I awoke in a panic, my heart racing. I sat up from the couch and checked the time. It was a little after 11 o'clock. I must have passed out on the couch, causing yet another terrifying dream. I stood up, stretching before looking around to ensure I was safe and alone. Assured, I went to the bedroom and sat on the side of the bed. My heart sank as I looked at the painting sitting perfectly on the dresser. It can't be! I shouted, jumping to my feet. I rushed over, staring at it with wild, panicked eyes. How'd you get in here? I asked before cursing my question, feeling idiotic to questioning a painting. That's it. That's all this is. A painting, a portrait of myself. Why am I afraid of this canvas? It's just colored oils and paper. I snatched it up, laughing hysterically at 
It's just a damn painting I'm on. My stomach tightened as I swear the eyes focused on me. I went to set it down, unsure of my sight and judgment, when a pair of inky cold hands grabbed my shoulders. I screamed, dropping the portrait and taking several steps back. This isn't real. This is a dream, I said, trying to rationalize the situation. I watched the creature pull itself from the painting, smiling devilishly at me. It shuffled over as I stood in fear, watching, waiting for something to happen. But it was no dream. I was not waking up this time. Now I am you, and you are me, he said in a gurgling tone. I opened my mouth in twisted fear to let out a cry for help. But when the beast threw itself on top of me, pinning me on the bed, I tried to shake it off, but to no success, it was stronger than me. Its wet hands seeped into my skin and began to cackle softly as chunks of it dripped onto my chest, some of which got into my mouth. The sour plastic taste covered my taste buds as I began to gag, fear of puking. I gasped for air as more thick chunks fell into my mouth, covering my eyes. I let out a gurgled scream for help until my body became completely engulfed by it. The last thing I saw was a wave of darkness, an old woman cackling, ringing through my ears before the sound was taken from me. Sherry opened the door and stepped inside, looking around. She walked in, seeing a figure, cloaked by the darkness, sitting on the bed. The lights were off, and at first she thought he might be asleep, but a faint sound coming from the bedroom made her believe he might be awake. Xavier, she called, asking him in the darkness. The figure turned to her before flipping on a bedside lamp, illuminating the room. Xavier sat on the bed, giving her a warm smile. Sherry, I was hoping you'd come by, he said, standing and walking over. He kissed her on the cheek as she gave him a look of pleasant surprise. Well, well, my kind of hello, she smiled. Mine too, Xavier responded cheerfully. What's gotten into you? Who's this new person, she asked, smiling, appreciating his newfound charm. Xavier shrugged, looking at her with a grin. This is a new Xavier, an improved Xavier. I like him very much, she said, planting a kiss on his lips as he kissed her gently back. Speaking of new you, I see the paintings back, she said, noticing the paintings sitting on the dresser. Yeah, it grew on me, thinking of picking up the paint myself. New hobby, maybe, Xavier said. Well, hello, new Xavier. I hope you enjoyed the portrait by Alan McDaniels, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash McDaniels. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-C-D-A-N-I-E-L-S. Besides appearing on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights channel, Mr. McDaniels has previously appeared on this show's episode 11 last season, though only available to those with a patron subscription. Tonight, we're happy to make him the sole featured author. 
If you do decide to stop by his profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. I once received a portrait of myself painted by a listener. I found the gift very touching, and I have it hanging on the wall next to me right now. Strangely enough, as I grow older, I notice the image too gets older, grayer, while I remain just as handsome as... Uh, wait. This isn't a portrait. It's a mirror. Never mind. I'm still just as handsome as I ever was. In our second entry of the night, we're to meet Oliver. Oliver doesn't consider himself the luckiest fellow in the world, and when he suddenly finds himself hungrier than he's ever been, he thinks the worst has happened. But take heart, dear listener. It's just as bad as he thinks it is. Without further ado, I present to you Hunger Pain. I sit up in my twin-sized bed holding my stomach. For the last two days, I've been plagued with this insatiable hunger. Just about cleaned out my entire fridge and freezer, went for takeout twice, and still, I'm, I'm starving. What's wrong with me? It can't be boredom, and my depression has never caused this type of response before. I've been trying to sleep for hours now, but the pain, the hunger, it's so strong. I have to find a way to satisfy this hunger or else the pain, it'll be the death of me. I shuffle over to the fridge and open the door, scanning inside to see less than scraps. My stomach roars like a lion as the hunger pains increase. I look on top of the fridge, staring at a quarter loaf of bread. I grab it and begin chopping, giving no thought other than satisfying my cravings. I was never a fat kid. Even in my young adulthood, I only weighed 140 pounds soaking wet. I'm 31 this year. No job, no girlfriend, or any friends. I was always a loner, and with my extreme social anxiety, it was easier to stick to myself. My name's Oliver, and as I said, I'm skinny, average height, and have black moppy hair. Blue eyes, decent complexion. My nose is a little small, and my ears are floppy, but not hideous. My stomach roars with pain as I nearly drop handfuls of bread onto the floor. This has got to stop. I have to do something. After some thought, I decided this was bigger than myself, and it would be best to have a doctor look me over. If nothing else, have them ensure that I don't have one of those tapeworms shivered at the thought of some slimy worms slithering through my intestines, making their way up my throat to nibble on anything I ate. As I drove to the walk-in clinic, I made my way downstairs into my car, blasting rock music. Once there, I checked in with the receptionist, who was nice enough and cute, too. Waiting always sucked, though, especially when my stomach felt like a never-ending void, demanding substance never to be satisfied with whatever I offered it. The nurse eventually calls me over as I follow her back into a small room. Okay, Mr. Kenton, I need to check your vitals, she said. I never liked my last name. 
It made me think of soup. Hmm. Soup. Oh, God, no. The pain returns with a forceful rage as I clasp my stomach groaning in pain. The nurse helped me to a chair, looked over me, checked my temperature and blood pressure, and listened to my heart and stomach. Spoiler alert. Vitals were practically normal. The question was, where was this insatiable hunger coming from? Okay, hun, doctor will be in shortly. She said, giving me a warm, comforting smile on her way out. I waited for about 15 minutes or so, the time flying by as I played on my cell phone. I had to close out a game when the doctor walked in, looking over a chart in his hands. Okay, uh, Mr. Canton, is it? He asked, looking up at me as he flipped through the pages. Now, I see you came to us three months ago regarding chronic migraines, he said, his statement sounding more like a question. That's right, they scanned my brain and then gave me ibuprofen. It took another two weeks for them to go away. Y'all never figured out what was wrong, I said, recalling the weeks of agonizing pain. Is that right? Maybe we should run a few more tests. See if this may be a symptom of something neurological, he said, taking notes. How are hunger pains neurological, I asked, not tracking his thought process. He looked up at me and used a silver pen in his hand to point at my stomach. Well, your body releases a hormone called ghrelin that signals your brain when your stomach is empty. If something was going on neurologically, it would send false signals to your brain and your stomach. I'll have the nurse draw some blood as well, he said. I nodded understanding the bare minimum of his words. He was a doctor, not me. That much I did understand. The doctor left ordering the tests as the nurse came in to draw my blood. She wrapped a blue band around my arm, found the vein, and then proceeded to stick in a rather large needle. I winced for only a second and watched my blood run up the tubes. My stomach started growling violently as I watched the woman fill the tubes with my blood. My mouth began to salivate as an urge to grab the tubes and slurp up every drop nudged at the back of my mind. I shook the thought out and prayed that whatever was wrong with me, they could fix it soon, too. The hunger was growing more powerful by the second. Next up was a head scan, then back to the waiting. Isolated in a chilly room with nothing to do but wonder what was wrong and play on my phone. It felt like hours were as my stomach continued to growl. My mind drifted back, thinking of the warm blood that was in those tubes. God, make it stop! I shouted out loud, disgusted by my thoughts. Luckily, the doctor returned a few minutes later, looking over something in his hands. Mr. Canton, I'm afraid we've got some unpleasant news. He said in a soft tone, putting the clipboard down. What? I asked. Fear temporarily outweighing the hunger. We found a small mass on your head scan. Well, at this time, we don't know what it is or if it's causing your hunger pains. I do know that we need to refer you to someone for some more tests. I'll have you see a neurologist and see if we can link the two together before weighing the options, he said. Worst visit to a doctor ever. I returned home after he referred me to a neurologist who I was to meet within the next week. My world was shattered. 
What was it? Cancer? Maybe a tumor? Am I going to die? Without food, Oliver? Yes. A raspy voice answered. Who said that? Who's there? I asked, looking around my small apartment. Even though I already somehow knew, a small faint voice came from within me. Food, Oliver. Food. Then answers, it replied. I'm out. I've eaten everything. I shouted, unsure of anything. Was I hallucinating? It must be a tumor. It has me delusional. Food! It hissed as my stomach tightened and howled. I decided to get takeout while pondering what was happening to me. Had I gone completely insane? Is this how my life ends, gorging myself until some mass eats at my brain? Three triple cheeseburgers, two large fries, one chili cheese foot long, and a large drink to wash it all down. I had never eaten this much at once. Yet here I was, stuffing my face while driving back to my depressing apartment. I demolished my food at my small kitchen table, licking my fingers clean. As I did, I could hear what sounded like a delightful hum of approval. Are you happy now? I tested my sanity to see if the inner voice would answer. For now, Oliver, yes. The smooth voice cooed. I gasped, sitting up and wondering if this was happening. Was I talking to myself? Do I check myself into a psych ward or find a priest to throw holy water on me? Who are you? I asked, eager to learn more. The closest word you have to describe my name would be Starspore, it answered. What? I asked, confused, feeling in somewhat of a daze. My true name is beyond your primitive vocabulary. Okay, smartass, what are you? Some kind of illusion? A demon? I asked, not wanting to focus on the fact I was arguing with myself. A traveler of worlds, it replied. I shook my head. This is madness, I croaked. Not madness, but life on a much larger scale than you previously thought to have existed, it said. I rushed to the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror staring at my reflection, expecting someone else to stand before me. I did not intend to harm you, not to cause you any distress. It said in an almost remorseful tone, What do you want from me? How do I know this is even happening if any of this is real, I challenged. There's nothing I can do to assure you of my existence other than continue to conversate. The mask the doctor found, it said, pausing, as if about to give me worse news than the fact I was possibly hallucinating, talking to myself in the mirror. What about it? I asked, afraid of what it might say next. It's no tumor. That's me. I reside harmlessly, planted in one of your prefrontal cortex, it answered. Well, get out of it, I yelled, slamming my fist on the bathroom counter. That's not possible. To answer your previous question about my intent with you, to put it simply, I want to live, survive, and do that. I need you. You're my host. The hell I am, I roared. Do not worry, as I've said before. I have no intention to cause you any harm. It said this was good news and this arrangement was normal. If you die, Oliver, as do I, we are now one. 
My brain strained, trying to process the improbability, the impossibility of it all. Why are you making me hungry all the time, I asked, looking for answers. My presence here has tripled your metabolism's capabilities. Therefore, we need more sustenance to fuel us. It answered as I shivered. I hated how it said us, like we were some couple dating and moving in together. How did you get in my head, I asked. My species exist as spores to be breathed in by other life forms. From there, we make our way to the prefrontal cortex and live our lives in harmony with our host. And if I refuse to eat, I ask, testing the alien, and we starve in mere days, it answered dryly. Can't I just go to the doctor and have you surgically removed, I asked. As the words left my lips, I collapsed from a massive onset migraine. I howled out in agony before it passed moments later. It would be extremely painful and ultimately fatal for both of us. We must learn to coexist. Think of it as an opportunity to learn from a higher life form and broaden your horizon of knowledge, it said in a sophisticated tone. So the migraines were you, I take it. Why? I asked, picking myself up off the bathroom floor. I was being born. Apologies, it answered. What, like hatching? I asked in a panic. Of sorts. Once born, I had to acclimate to my surroundings, and at that time, I understand that I caused discomfort, and I do apologize for that. I groaned, not sure about anything anymore. So I have no choice, I asked weakly. Of course you do, Oliver. We can live, or we can die, it answered. Ooh, some friend you are, I spat. Bonding. In time, we'll both grow fond of each other's company. This is an excellent form of bonding, it said with a giggle. Only now did I get the joke. Hilarious. I can't live like this, I said, looking into the mirror, trying to think of a way out. You can, and you will, he answered. I sat back in silence, no longer interested in whether this was real. The pain was excruciating and real, the hunger equally so. And that in itself was enough for me. I had to escape, but how do I escape myself, my brain? Food, please, Oliver, a voice crept from the depths of my mind. No, I snapped, burying my face in a pillow. Do not act irrationally. We both require nourishment, it's Damn you and your needs, I spat. Our needs, Oliver, it corrected me. I did my best to drown him out, shutting my eyes and wrapping a pillow around my ears. This will not keep me from speaking with you, it said. I sat up, growling, frustrated with whatever this tumor thing was. Then the realization hit. He was right. No matter my methods, it was pointless trying to escape him. He was never going to stop. The hunger was never going to end. But, perhaps, I could starve him out. It was a risky thought. I could die, and the hunger would be crippling at some point. I might not be able to keep my resolve under the circumstances. I'd need to take drastic measures to ensure I would not succumb to my cravings, to its cravings. I opened my nightstand, digging through until I found a pair of handcuffs. I'd purchased 
once upon a time to fill a fantasy with a girl who wouldn't even give me a date. I smirked, thinking back to her. Bitch. I mumbled to myself as I threw the cuff key across the room. What are you doing, Oliver? The voice asked curiously. I attached the cold metal handcuff to my left wrist, then to the bed. Starving you out. You mind invading parasite? I yelled triumphantly. What? It asked in a roar of its own, as the mother of all migraines rang through my head, robbing me of sight. My body jerked and twisted through the agonizing pain. Feed me, it demanded. No, I shouted back. You're killing yourself? You'd kill us both? It asked, shocked by the turn of events. Yes, I growled through grinding my teeth. Next time, don't pick a depressed host. We tend to make poor health choices. The hours passed like honey in an hourglass. Agonizing pain, the alien invading my brain, constantly yelling for hours before my exhausted body succumbed to much-needed sleep. I opened my eyes, looking up at my white-speckled ceiling. Silence, not just in my head, but also in my stomach. The hunger pains were gone. Let her laugh, victorious, having beaten the parasite, me, Oliver Canton, and nobody who fought a game of wits with an alien and one. Suddenly, I felt fire spread up my left arm. I looked over and screamed in a grotesque horror before me. The flesh from my hand and forearm was gone, stripped from bloody bones. I ate my arm. I wanted to puke, but couldn't. Something within me forced me to lay in bed with my flesh slowly digesting in my stomach, satisfying the unbiased hunger. I did not sacrifice a limb for you to spit it up, Oliver, the voice said in a stern, parent-like tone. How did you do this? I asked, still in shock, staring at the red-blooded bones on my mattress, still attached to my arm, blood soaking the once white sheets. I took control. It took some time to figure out but once I did, I could keep you in a sedated sleep while I did what I had to do for us to survive, it said. For us? I'm missing an arm, I shouted. Because you refused to listen to reason, Oliver. Because of you, I had to make a less desirable decision, it said, seemingly to become frustrated by my anger. Less desirable? I could have bled out, I said in disbelief. No, I used your belt as a tourniquet. I took the necessary precautions to keep you stable, it answered, as if I should be proud and thankful. That's it. That's what you have to say for eating my arm, I asked. Please do not make this a difficult relationship. We can repair this. There's no we, I yelled. I yelled out in pain, jumping free to my feet. I clenched my teeth, grabbed the bone that made up my wrist, in a quick motion, I snapped it free of the cuff. The pain, unimaginable, as the sound of bone snapping caused a shiver down my spine. You want me as a host? Fine, I yelled, rushing to the window. I ask you to calm down so we may properly discuss this as rational life forms. You can fly, Space Bear, I laughed, opening the window. Oliver, you need to think this through. It said in a nervous tone that only fed my wild possibly manic idea. 
I stood on the railing, holding my flesh-stripped, broken arm, as I looked down at cars and people passing by, unaware of the ideas floating in my brain or the alien who caused them. Oliver, please, my friend. I strongly encourage you to remain inside while we try to compromise our coexistence. It said in a desperate plea. Fuck you. I closed my eyes, giving my body over to the wind that carried me to the pavement below. Splat. Oliver's hasty decision to skydive to a hard landing was certainly inconvenient at best. An unfortunate ending to a promising friendship, though we necessarily didn't have that strong a foundation. The arm thing did seem a bit much, even for me. But I had to eat, and he was being difficult. My species has millions of years of evolution behind us. And we'll go on long after the carbonated life forms perish. I'll miss all of his spunk, but there are always more hosts. The landing was a bit messy. The best of poor Oliver was scattered to stringy bits of flesh and bone. It was a sight so grotesque that even the police who responded could not believe their eyes. They concluded Oliver was likely on psychedelics, ate his arm, then attempted to fly. However, not unlike Icarus, my boy flew too close to the sun. Now, these police officers seem to have a clear, level-headed mind about them, which is precisely why I chose one, after Oliver abruptly expired. Perhaps this host will welcome my friendship. If not, there are plenty of humans in the world. I hope you enjoyed Hunger Pains by Alan McDaniels, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash McDaniels. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-C-D-A-N-I-E-L-S. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. As a reminder... If you decide to give tonight's talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. Be sure to let them know you heard about them here on this program and that me, Otis Jarry, sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure he would be much appreciated as well. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, episode 2 of season 12 already. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition, of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and get access to our entire audio archive 
dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. And you can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Jiry Channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jivey Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>